Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast and a special thanks to anyone that may be tuning in for the first time. So um, on this edition I'm so happy to be welcoming back and I'm going to describe them as two old friends of Shared Ireland. I don't mean that age-wise of course gentlemen but um, I think you were actually the second or third podcast we ever did um, so um, it's great to have you back. Um, I suppose both of these traditionally will come from a unionist background, but we can talk more about that as we go on. So a warm return to the Shared Ireland podcast, Fraser McGammon and Nigel Watson. How are you both keeping? And Fraser, apologies, pronounce your surname for me there again. McCammon. McCammon. Yes, you told me about five times before I hit the record button, but anyway, how are you, Nigel? Uh, all good, you know, COVID, life and all the rest of it. So yeah, all bubbling along. So. Very good. Uh, guys, first of all, I'd like to say from day one, you both have been nothing only supportive of the Shared Ireland platform. Um, and I think anyone that's familiar with you both on social media um, enjoys your straight talking approach, and that's to both of you. Um, but doing so with respect towards everyone, of course. Um, not everyone will always agree to see ATA, but you both uh, encompass our motto here in the Shared Ireland, and that's learning to disagree respectfully. Um, I'll go to you first, Fraser, if you don't mind. For the benefit of our listeners and anyone that maybe didn't hear our first interview, could you tell us briefly a little bit about who you are and where you come from? Um, well, I come from Dromore in County Down, at least that's where I live currently. Um, I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather, and I dote my grandchildren. Um, I had an erstwhile interest in politics, once uh, an elected representative for the Alliance Party. And ever since, I suppose, I've had an interest in politics from the fringe. And that's partly why I'm here today. Okay, just before we come on to you, Nigel, you once were an elected rep for the Alliance Party. I was indeed. I was a councillor in Lisburn Council from 1993 to 2001. Okay. Is it a cheeky question to ask why you're no longer? A um, couple of reasons. One, I was pretty unwell towards the end of that period and had a number of serious health issues. And secondly, I had got a bit jaded with local government politics. Okay. Well, maybe I'll come back to that in a later date. Nigel, same question to you for the benefit of anyone that maybe isn't familiar with you. Could you tell us um, who is Nigel Watson and a little bit about your background? Yep, I'm a 55-year-old Protestant uh, from Ballymena. I live in Belfast now. Uh, like Fraser, just um, boring enough. Uh, three children, married 30 years, have a job, uh, enjoy some sport. Um, my, pol- my politics is more refined or is uh, more constrained on, on, on Twitter and social media and stuff like that there. Um, I've had a long interest in, 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 just in, in politics as an idea, but I haven't been actively involved in any party ever. So, Okay, no problem. That's great. Guys, as I mentioned in the introduction... It's been, I think it's just slightly over two years since we had our first conversation. Can you tell me how your views on the future of our island have changed since then, or have they remained the same? And I'll go to you first, Fraser. I I think, Niall, my view probably hasn't changed an awful lot. Um, Things have changed in those couple of years. We've had a general election which has had a major impact um, on the relationship between the DUP and the Conservatives, obviously, and, and the fallout um, ever since in, in relation to Stormont and so on and so forth. Um, we've had COVID, mm-hmm. um, which has had a major impact on everybody's lives, and we've all had to readjust and learn how to live in a new way. And I, probably one of the positive things out of COVID, I think, it gave many of us time to sit back and maybe have a look at the world we live in uh, and particularly from an environmental point of view. And I know one of the things that struck me in that period was an image of the Earth from space. Whenever all, when all the traffic had stopped, all the airplanes had stopped and the, cli- the clouds and the skies had cleared, uh, it was just amazing. And it, it just struck me there's really something in there maybe for the future. And just on that point, uh, as you referenced there, um, I seen the riverways and um, you know no pollution and stuff like that. And there was something 
I guess, beautiful about watching that. But Absol- I suppose when, when we go back to normal within a couple of months, everything's <coughs> back to normal again, isn't it? It has. It hasn't taken too long to go back to what it was. Yeah. And it's funny, we, we, you mentioned that um, we had, obviously, the climate change, um, all the world leaders in Scotland there a few days ago. And um, so it's a big topic at the moment. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very, very important topic. And a good number of the political leaders have indicated that, you know, now or never they need to make these decisions and they need to put them into effect. And that's the most important part is to put them into effect. You can talk away till the cows come home, um, but if you don't take some action, then I think we're on a pretty dangerous trajectory. Yeah, because we're basically only tenants here. Our time will pass and we need to leave it in good order for the future generations. Nigel, same question to you. Have your views more or less been the same since we first spoke a couple of years ago in relation to the future of the island of Ireland, or have they somewhat maybe changed? Yeah, a bit, bit like everyone. So COVID's been the last two years, and and all the changes for us as as, as people, as individuals, amongst our family and society. And in a certain way, lots changed. Um, but in a certain way, from that perspective, not much has changed. Uh, we've had the election, we've had the withdrawal agreement, we've had the protocol, everything else. I suppose, really, to me, um, who knows what happens in the next three, four, five months, but May 2022, that will be the election, and that's a really pivotal point. Um, Then we'll know. There's a lot of opinion polls, this and and all the other. Who knows what Northern Ireland really thinks about politics and about the protocol? We'll know in May, and for me, that will be maybe the the first time we've moved forward. Just on the the upcoming Assembly elections, as you referenced in May, there's a lot of talk about, um, I guess, both unionist leaders, um, Geoffrey Donaldson and Doug Beattie, not really confirming that if um, Sinn Féin were to be the largest party, would either of the unionists nominate as Deputy First Minister. As um, somebody that was brought up in the Protestant tradition, and I hope I'm not labelling you here, but flesh that out for me a bit. What's your thinking? I'm sort of stunned by it a little bit. I mean, you know, so I'm not a fan of the DUP, but if they win the vote, they get to become First Minister. That's the rules. It's actually their rules. It's called democracy, it's, isn't it? Well, it's just, just the rules that they set. So it's, you're not really, it's nothing to do with Sinn Féin. I don't like Sinn Féin as a party, but it's not really about that. No, of course. It's people who vote for them. Yeah. And it, it comes back to, it's not even about democracy. It's... Unionism's inability to address Northern Ireland as it is, if it turns out that the number one party is Sinn Féin, I wouldn't be in love with that. But the rules are clear. Whether they're good rules or bad rules, the rules are there. That's the rules. I mean, it's not even about democracy, just the rules are clear, that's it. I'm not even sure why it's a discussion point, to be honest. Same question to you briefly, Fraser, just on the whole um, Deputy First Minister, First Minister. I think I'm pretty much on the same page as Nigel in this one. Um, I, I, I was particularly disappointed uh, that Doug Beatty couldn't make that um, clear decision because this, this is one post. First and Deputy First Minister is an equal post. There is no differentiation whatsoever, and it's purely down to one's perception. And I think the sooner the unionist politicians get their heads over that, the better. Yeah, I agree. And I, I guess in particular, I agree with you, uh, Fraser, when you referenced... Doug Beatty, you know, I can understand the DUP maybe even more, you know, digging their heels in more. But Doug's, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Doug. He seems a very reasonable man. He's got this new brand of unionism, which seems on the face of it to be attractive and includes everyone. And for him to categorically, you know, not dodge the question, I, I was a little bit disappointed myself. Well, yes, and I think Doug Beatty has actually been making fairly positive inroads with the unionist party. Um, and I suppose you, you've got this particular issue to have raised, but I think the other one that struck me was when he stood in the steps of Stormont uh, with Billy Hutchison and three other unionist leaders. Um, I found that a very disappointing moment as well because right up to that point, I thought Doug Beattie is actually starting to make a difference here with the unionist party. He's making it more relevant to today's political environment. He's dealing with those issues which are difficult per se, same-sex marriage, abortion, so on and so forth, those other issues that the DUP want to run a mile away from. Um, and he's also, he's also um, encouraging women to get involved in politics as well, which is a very, another positive aspect of it. And so I, I give him full credit for those things, and it was just so disappointing 
uh, as regards the, the position about Deputy First Minister and then that, that image of him standing on the steps with Billy Hutchison. Yeah, I agree. Guys, just a few days ago, we seen gunmen hijack um, and burn a bus in Newtonards. Reports suggesting they were from a group called the Protestant Action Force. Now, I know this is kind of like a flipping question I'm going to ask you, but do these men and this group represent you and your values? Nigel? Um, they don't represent anybody because they haven't, they haven't stood for election. They don't represent anybody. It's not even... They don't represent anybody, me, not anybody, because... <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. I mean, we all get cross at stuff, but you can't be running off burning buses when you get cross at stuff. I mean, I get cross at plenty of things, but I can't go off and burn a bus when I get cross. Uh, same question to you, Fraser. Yes, I, I, I would condemn that sort of stuff just outright. Um, it's got no place in today's society whatsoever. Um, if people have difficulties with the protocol per se, then the, it, those things have to be dealt with in a peaceable way and around the table. Um, and that's where those things need to be settled. Uh, what disappoints me is that those who would have sent these individuals out to do this particular thing um, are, are sitting in a back room somewhere, but they're not thinking about what they're doing to unionism, um, and they're, they're not creating the right, right image for unionism. You know, unionism wants to make itself relevant to today. It wants to um, create a vision and a strategy for the people they represent, but then you have these people who come out of the darkness, burn a bus, and that just absolutely destroys everything that any unionist leader who is respectable wants to try and achieve. Agreed. Nigel, you previously stated, if you see serious engagement from the likes of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Labour in the south of Ireland, then you'll know what's moved from being a Sinn Féin core vote mobilisation thing to being a serious thing. And I guess with TDs like Neil Richmond and Jim O'Callaghan releasing papers on Irish Unity recently, do you now think the conversation has moved beyond being a Sinn Féin only talking point? Um, well, I suppose it, it clearly has, is, is the first thing. Um, so the Claire Byrne Live show mm. was, was probably a really interesting um, situation. I was approached by some of the producers to go on. Oh, okay. Why, uh, why did you...? Well, I got bumped. I suppose um, Andrew Trimble probably was a, a better version of me. That's uh, a matter of opinion, isn't well, it? Well, no, no, uh, it's a joke aside. So he'd have been um, exposing, I suppose, my, my position, and, and he, he spoke very, very well. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact of who turned up to that particular um, event was uh, was interesting. I probably would be in the Durban McDonald's, Sarah Crichton, Andrew Trimble position on, on, on any kind of range of topics there. Um, I think... Something that even Joel, you talked to uh, Joel, Joel Keyes um, yes, in uh, last, previous in podcast. previous podcast, yeah. the bit that struck me most in all those things was the lack of just knowing each other. So I'm 55 year old, um, I've represented Ireland. By, by the way, sorry listeners, yeah. I'm sorry Nigel, the three of us, as soon as yeah. you said that, are sitting around yeah. the table here all yeah. nodding our heads. You know, I, I went on holidays in the 70s and 80s down south, uh, I've, I've represented Ireland at two sports, I've represented... Uh, sorry, one sport. I've been all over the island. I worked in sales for three years in Ireland, doing nothing but Ireland. And I could have met Claire Byrne in the street and wouldn't have known who she was. And probably people down south could bump into Stephen Nolan and wouldn't know who he was. And I doubt it. Well, they probably, they probably, probably could. And that says a lot about just the, just the fact that we've just very we've we've drifted apart. Um, and just as societies, it's just a natural thing, perhaps. And I think that my big take from, from that whole show was just the gap in knowledge between the north. I mean, both ways. It's not. It's not. It's not as good or bad. It's just north and south. That that just the, the, the chasm in, in just knowledge and understanding of each other is just is just so large. Um, if nothing else comes out of this conversation, and I know there will be plenty, but getting to know each other better, yeah. uh, I think for me, that's something that's going to resonate in my head for the rest of the day, anyway. Um, Fraser, would you like to comment? I know that question was predominantly for Nigel, but have you anything to say around that? 
No, I, I think it's a very pertinent question because I don't think we know enough about each other, North and South. And if I'm honest, probably until my sister got married, um, I would say that was the case for me. I didn't know very much about the South. My sister married a big fella from the Gale Tag from Donegal. She now lives outside Donegal town and um, she, she doesn't want to come back up here, that's for sure, as I'll tell you. But um, what it has done, it, it, it opened up a part of society to me that I wasn't into at all. Um, so her side of the family, they're all, they're all Catholic, Irish, nationalist, um, and that's absolutely fine with me. But that, for me, that's emancipating. Mm -hmm. And as a family, we love each other. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just like to see the natural extension of that right across Ireland. Of course, of course. Sorry, Nigel, you want yeah. to come back? Just, so I probably think I know a lot about the South. And in a certain way, I do. But actually, I have a certain probably vision of the South, and it's from snapshots and it's whatever. Do I really know the South that well? The answer is not really. Um, but my, my children, maybe, and maybe it's not even... It's just I mean, EasyJet or Ryanair. We used to go on holiday to, to the south. Now, now you go on holiday to Spain. So there's a whole just loss of interactions north and south. And it's not even that it's been a good thing or a bad thing. It's just that it's it just it's happened naturally as there's more things to go off and do elsewhere and then you don't do so many things on the island. And I think that maybe if you're not from a GAA perspective, that probably brings people together in a way that 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 for the rest of us, even someone like me who'd like to be, you just don't have that interaction. So I think that if somebody are coming from a GAA background, this probably sounds a bit weird, but for people who are outside of GAA, forget about religion. Just the number of interactions north and south are, are, are really quite small. Sure, moving forward, we can all try to do a little bit more staycations. It's not the new yeah. buzzword that we're yeah, all well, trying one, to... One of the things that I did, you know, never the lockdowns relaxed, we got an opportunity to go down to Bantry for a few days, ah. which we absolutely loved. And then another time I got across to La Hinch and Cliffs of Moor, which I hadn't done. Um, we have a B&B at home, we've got all these tourists coming and tell us about Cliffs of Moor and we've never even seen it. So we actually got there on a real wet, windy day and couldn't see it. So, <laughs> Very good. Fraser, um, when we previously spoke, you said there are things that are wrong in the South in terms of homelessness, medical care, etc. How do you think these issues would be talked about in the debate I'm going to say when a border poll is called. Some would say if a border poll is called. I think I would like to see those things debated before a border poll is called. Um, and I suppose Shared Ireland um, at the minute have started a process whereby these things can be discussed in open forum. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's where the conversation needs to happen now before there's any border pull north and south, because the health and homelessness in the south is, is not peculiar to the south, because I had a week look at figures there. Um, in September this year, 8,500 adults in the south registered as homeless. Um, however, if you had a look at Northern Ireland's figures for the quarter April to June, 4,306 families in that period okay. registered as homeless. So just to, just to highlight, it, highlight it as a problem in the south, I think it's equally important to highlight it as a problem in the north. Certainly. And perhaps this is an opportunity, north and south, to look at that particular issue, to look at the health services north and south, to see if an all-Ireland approach can be developed now and in the interim period, even before a border poll is held. I think that would be a positive way to look at it. Well, well I guess, um, by the way, thank you for... Um, reference in our own podcast here, Shared Ireland, um, you're, you're quite right. That's the only aim and objective of this podcast, is to try and be inclusive, trying to hear voices, particularly voices that you know I traditionally wouldn't agree with. Yeah. And I think we've, we've, we've hopefully demonstrated that, that we have that yeah. ability to bring everybody on. But uh, Fraser, just come back to you know having the conversation before a border poll is called. And I guess that's what groups like Shared Ireland, Ireland's Future and others will be saying. You know, it's important to establish a citizens' assembly now so that we can have these in-depth, detailed conversations prior to anything. And I guess the obvious example is look at Brexit, where that didn't happen. Well, Shared Ireland have started their conversations. Um, you know, and recently they've been in Galway, they've been in Cork. Ireland's future. Sorry, Ireland's future, a bigger, a bigger part in Ireland's future. 
Um, and they, they've produced four discussion documents to date. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the, these are not set in stone. These are just loose frameworks of the sort of things that could be talked about. So again, I think that's, that's a forum where the issues of health, the issues of homelessness can, can be brought up and they can start to talk about a framework around those north and south. And, and the beauty about the, those, those conversations, um, they're including some political representation, they're including civic representation, uh, and indeed um, a couple of individuals in North Ireland now have got involved with Karen, Reverend Karen Sathurman and also Trevor Lunn, which I think is a positive step. 100%. And, um, and I think hopefully that would be an encouragement for more people from a unionist civic society perspective to engage in those conversations because those conversations are non, those conversations are non-threatening. Um, and I think that's the way to deal with future relationships in this island. Interesting. Nigel, in our previous conversation, you said that your gut reaction was to do away with Stormont in a united Ireland because how badly it's been managed, I guess. Has having an executive in place since 2020 changed how you view Stormont as it currently stands and whether it should remain in a united Ireland? Um, pr probably, probably not. To be honest, um, again, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a joke, but with a, with a jag, I think that um, if you ever discuss this with with, uh, with friends, the, the general reaction is uh, sure, do away with Stormont. We'll take our chances in the Doyle in the South. That that would be a, a sort of, a sort of a joke with a jag kind of thing. And if you, if you look at what what is Stormont supposed to do? Any assembly, forget about Stormont. It's an assembly to have a talking forum. That's a good thing. Um, you then have 90 MLAs. They've then got two or three assistants. You've got the people who can do like citizens' advice, your work, you know, office work. If you've got a problem in your constituency, you go along, and that, 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 they do that quite well as well. But it's it's primarily there to legislate. But I'm talking about in a United Ireland scenario. Would well, it not even be a reassurance, for example, for the PUL community? You know, well, that our base, for want of a better word, is still here. I represent myself, so I can't speak for anybody else. Everyone will have their own, own view of that. For me, I, I, my, my gut says no. If, if they end up saying, well, the balance is we, we have it because overall people think that's a good idea, that's 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 great. I'll, I'll not be cramming in the beer about it. But... The attraction of a United Ireland to me, in, in the theory, is you have it's seven million people on the island. It's not a big place, but it's big enough. You've got, you know, if you're sitting in Athlone in a car, it's an hour to drive to the sea, east and west, and it's two hours north south. It's not a big island. It's not a big place. You know, it's not America. It's a small place. It doesn't require lots and lots of um, of, of of that. Could you do? something around identity and stuff at a, at a council level, perhaps, because I just look at the Stormont and say, well, what does it do? It doesn't legislate for big bill. It, it, it devolves that to, to Westminster for things that are, that, are, that are challenging. It hasn't really addressed the legacy, the past, or cultural stuff, which are kind of unique to Northern Ireland, so it's failed on that front. It doesn't do very good management of departments, so it's failed on that front. Oversight, it's not particularly good at that. So. You're saying, well, will that change? Whether it's United Ireland or United Kingdom, those things aren't going to change. Those drivers of, of how Stormont works or doesn't work won't change. And then you're left saying, well, what is the point of Stormont? In any con forget about the, the, the overall constitutional structure. Just as a thing, has it just failed at every level? I mean, I, I'm, I was a full supporter of the Good Friday Agreement. I would, I would vote probably yes still. If you end up saying, well, it's a price worth paying for having a dysfunctional assembly, okay, it's £100 million, whatever it costs a year for a talking shop. If that's the price of peace, so be it. But let's not kid ourselves, it's anything more than that. that that's what it is. Fraser, anything, comments on Stormont and its retention in a new dispensation? Um, I'm going to bail on this one because, again, I, you know, I, I, I think Stormont within a new Ireland framework um, is still something which really has to be up for discussion. You know, what, Nigel has pointed to a lot of weaknesses in it there. And again, you know, if you had it there as a regional assembly within a new Ireland context, you're still dealing with the same pot of individuals, the same tensions and difficulties. So, you know, 
there, there's a part of me thinks that it would be a much more pragmatic body to have it in Dublin and to, for, for unionism to represent itself in a positive and an effective way within that forum. For a man that said he was going to bail on that question, you didn't do too bad. Question for you both here, and I'll come to yourself first, Fraser. Our first conversation came not too long after Ireland's Future held their first big public event in the Waterfront Hall. Since then, do you think unionism, either political or civic, has done anything to um, replicate the work being done by Ireland's Future? And if not, why do you think this is the case, Fraser? They haven't done a lot. Um, I know. I know. When you look at social media, and you'll see that there's there's some response to the, this move by nationalism through Ireland's future to bring about a united Ireland. Um, but they haven't matched that in terms of a body which is welcoming, which is pragmatic. And you're referring to the PUL community. I'm, I'm talking about to the PLU community. Now there was there was there was a meeting held in the Ulster Hall, as I remember, which was behind closed doors. There weren't terribly a great number at it. It was the usual suspects, I suppose. Um, there 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 is a group on social media which I noticed was we make Northern Ireland or we make NI. Say that, yeah. Now they they've, they've got about twenty eight hundred followers currently. Some of the stuff that they have on there is positive enough, and it's to it's, it's to show Northern Ireland in a positive light. We actually have one of our representatives coming on next week. But but what 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 they were to do? You know, I noticed at the end the end of last year they had announced that they would have a number of events occurring in 2021. Now obviously COVID has probably gotten in the way of that but I certainly would welcome um, any civic forums that the unionist community want to bring forward and I would hope that they would be um, open to all members of the community to go along just the same way as the Shared Ireland events are open to all of the community to go Ireland's along. Future. Ireland's future. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, because I, I, I remember the first conversation. I actually remember meeting you at the Waterfront Hall and um, you know you thought it was quite, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but enlightening and refreshing. I did. Uh, I did go to that and I really don't know why I went to it because it was just, I woke up one morning and just burned. I had to go to this thing. So I... <laughs> You, but, you got uh, a calling. You know, a room full of rampant nationalists. But, uh... <laughs> oh, sure, you fitted in lovely, didn't you? <laughs> Nigel, same question to you, if you don't mind. Yeah, so maybe we, we can say cope with, you know, that, that does make meetings harder and all that. So that, that, that's true for all aspects of life. So Yeah, but there's social media. There, there's social media. And, and there is the, the, the We Make Northern Ireland, and that's definitely uh, a good thing. Um, the, the simple answer is no. Um, again, I, when I did the, the podcast last time, people asked me, I said, well, actually, yeah, why doesn't unionism do something like this? Listening to a broad range of views, and it's just listening, talking, exploring. And again, you know, I can only put it down to just complacency. It, it seems to be, well, you've got the economy, you've got the uh, civil service jobs, and you've got the NHS. And, and maybe that's enough. Maybe maybe that's enough. Um but you kind of go to yourself, well, guys, you know, look at the demographics of Northern Ireland. Forget about whether it's going to end up in a United Ireland or a shared Ireland or whatever. Let's say Northern Ireland will still be the same thing in 2030, 2040. It'll be a much greener place. And are you getting your heads around what Northern Ireland will look like in 2030 as, as a place on its own? And I'm just not sure they are. And I'm not sure they're really ready for that and it, it, it's it just seems a recipe for instability so for me having these kind of conversations that you're having or whatever you want to call them it's conversations discussions I mean as, as Joel said last week there's, there's you lose nothing by, by by coming along and having a chat costs nothing to talk well, it's, yeah. it's, even, it's even more than nothing to talk so you know I've got some notes here you know, you sent through some areas we might be talking about. I had to go off and have a think about that and say, well, yeah, what do I actually think about those things? And it's actually good for yourself. You actually, mm. you know, you spend an hour or two thinking about, well, yeah, what, what is my thoughts on that? That's, that's a very good question. And I think the more that unionism can get round to just beginning civic things like you're doing or more structured things are happening elsewhere, just more of that stuff in that general space is, is just, it's the betterment of unionism. 
It's the betterment of Northern Ireland. It's the betterment of the North. Where the hell do you want to call the place? It's just, it's just a good thing, and we should do more of it. And unionism doesn't, for reasons best known to itself. Uh, you can call it what you want, but I, I think I heard somebody saying um, recently, we can all agree we call it home, That's and I think that yeah. is a good enough way of putting yeah. it. Guys, what do you think can be done to engage people? And I guess I'm talking about the ordinary voter here, regardless of what way they think, either in terms of supporting the union or a united Ireland. And, and now I know that's what we're trying to do here in the Shared Iron Podcast. Ireland's future is doing it obviously on a grander scale. But like at the end of the day, it's our country. As Nigel said, well, I want to call it um, Northern Ireland, the North of Ireland, Ireland, part of the UK, whatever. We're all entitled to do it once. But ultimately, we are the voters. How can we get more people involved, Fraser? I think this is very difficult, Niall. Um, because the general public, are, they're taking their lead from the political leaders, um, by and large. Uh, and I, I suppose, in essence, we're going to say that the first, the first point is that the political leaders need to open themselves up a little bit more. I think there needs to be a spirit of generosity with them all. Um, and that needs to be an encouragement then for their supporters out in the community. Um, you know, Ireland's future having their conversations, they're being positively received um, by the wider nationalist community, I, I firmly believe. They're also being positively received by elements of the Protestant community in the north, and that can't be ignored. So by the same token, if there is something equivalent coming from unionism, I would like to think that all of the community would listen with respect, with civility, and take on board what they have to say. I, I know, speaking for myself and I guess the Shared Ireland team, you know, I would absolutely love it. Because, you know, there's no point us, as in, you know, nationalism, just having these conversations. The whole point of it is that it's an inclusive, open conversation. Yeah, and, and one of the things that came out of your conversation with um, Joel Keyes, you know, you, you, you talked about the simple things of life. Yeah. And there, 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 there was this great agreement between the two of you about all of this stuff, you know, and, 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 and no real dissension or disagreement in, in, in any shape or form about the normal things of life yes, that concern exactly. people, whether that be their be education, the economy, or health. These, there's such commonality mm. there, you know, and why not work together more closely and make these things much better for everybody? Um, and so that, that, that was one of those positive things that came out of that, with, that conversation with Joel. Yeah, I, I actually nearly dropped off the seat for the first 20 minutes because I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, what's going on here? This guy <coughs> wants something totally different and, from me, but yet no, we've done nothing but and, only and, nod our heads in agreement. And there was, there was something refreshing about that conversation with Joel. Now, Joel's a young man. He's only 20. Of course. Um, I, I like his independence of thought. Um, and I think that's very important. And I, 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 would, I would really, really hope um, that the circumstance, circumstances around him do not change that independence of thought that he has. He's a bit rough around the edges, probably maybe entirely, and about, about his politics and about the substance of it. But, you know, give, give, given the right environment, that young man will grow and mature. And if he's given the right direction, the right encouragement, I think he could be a positive force for the future. Um, Nigel, same question to you. How do we basically get more people involved in this conversation, regardless of what their opinion is? I don't know. There's no, I, I really <laughs> Thanks for don't that. Know. Um, again, <laughs> get back to what Joel said. You know, Joel runs around with a crowd of mates. He's a 20-year-old bloke from, from loyalism. I'm a 55-year-old bloke from, um, from middle-class background. My friends don't really vote, and most of his friends don't vote. They might vote because Joel badgers them into voting. Um, my children don't vote. Um, none of them know people who vote. Because who would they vote for? And they just kind of go, I, and maybe I'm just living in a wee bubble of whatever, and it, it, it's just, it's trying to find things that you can agree on. Because again, get on and on about stuff you disagree with forever. It's, it's a bit it's a bit boring I mean I, I if I if I look at my experience on Twitter 
this is when I began, it was all fighting and fighting and fighting. And actually then I found people in the DUP who actually, on certain things, I, I disagree with a lot of them, but actually certain things we could agree on. And I got very lively DMs with them, chatting with us, and I actually I found them to be engaging, funny people who actually, there's lots of things I disagree with them on, but actually you're trying to find the things that you do agree with on and trying to find, if we can find some way in our politics to get to the stuff we agree on so we can do some more stuff. So in a certain way I'm saying Stormont has failed abjectly. Well, there must be things you'd hope that we we can agree on or even agree on as a topic to talk about that isn't orange and green, that you can have a conversation that at least at least you have a discussion that's away from it all has to be them on that side, them on the other side. Just trying to find even <coughs> topics to talk about that you agree on. And, you know, is reforesting Ireland, Northern Ireland, Ulster, whatever the hell you want to call it, is that a good idea? Can, can we all agree that no matter where you stand on the border, actually having a greener place with more trees and looking at the environment... more market be too green. No, but, 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 but is that something we can even like, think there's a good idea? And then if it is, well, let, let's get on with it. So let's put our energy into things mm. that we can agree on yeah. rather than always fighting about stuff that we, we disagree on. I, I don't know. It's, I... Uh, <laughs> you need a drink, Nigel, yeah, do you? Yeah. I'll give you coffee, yes. <laughs> Guys, both of you referenced Joel Keyes, um, our previous guest. Um, what did you make? I know you referenced it briefly, Fraser, but what was your overall sense of having listened to Joel? And should we be reaching out, and I say we, sorry, not speaking for you too, should nationalism be reaching out to more people like Joel? I think I think Joel is an encouragement for everybody. Um, he's not he's not your typical um, PUL representative, uh, where he doesn't represent anybody but himself, I suppose, at the minute. And and, and funny, I love that fact that that he refused, so he said, a couple of advances by political unionism because they were basically going to handcuff him, for want of a better word. Yes, and I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, you know, he, he was a breath of fresh air whenever I, I listened to that podcast. Um, and as I, say, as I said earlier, he had this streak of independence within him. And I think that's particularly important. And I think it's very, very important that Joel finds that encourage, an encouraging community around him. Yeah. And I would imagine there would be people within his own peer group who would be very much opposed to the stance that he took with you on that particular podcast. So, And, and, and the more individuals there are like Joel, uh, I hope they find the courage to, to start and speak up within their own communities and say, look, folks, there's a better way. Yeah, And, and it's not easy done on either side, by no, the way. No. And it does take courage. And that's something that I was pleasantly surprised and encouraged with by Joel. Um, just briefly, Nigel, same question to you. Yeah, again, I thought um, probably the best advice he gave all of us was chillax a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably too old, too old to use that word, but um, that's, that's good advice. You know, it's also, you've nothing lost in talking in anything. Forget about this conversation, any conversation. Um, I thought it was really interesting on on his interaction with the UK. Um, you know, and, and he, he, probably him and me share a lot in common. We really want the best for this place. You know, and we're about this place, whatever. He has a certain view of how that looks, and, and I have a different one, but it's really about this place. And so there's, a, it's like I always think, there's so much in common. So it's, for me, it's then about finding well, what are the things, whole range of things we're going to argue about. Let's not, let's not argue that, that that's kind of pointless. Let's find things we can agree on and kind of crack on and do the things you can agree with. Because that's part of the problem with Stormont, is it, it just doesn't do anything. Or it doesn't, maybe I'm being overly harsh, it doesn't appear to do anything. Because it doesn't seem to want to spend time finding things we can agree on. I'll tell you what we'll do. Them, yeah. We're recording this conversation yeah, today in the Stormont Hotel, which obviously is literally just across the road from Stormont. Will we pop over and put these questions to them? Oh, why not? It's a cracking building. It's a beautiful park. It's um, it's a lovely it's a lovely day as well. So it's a <laughs> lovely day for a walk up through the trees there. Well, so. uh, you, me and uh, Fraser and Mabby Govern get crashed after this. Uh, an open day in Stormont. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, um, you previously said if Leo Faradkar or Ruth Davison were the leaders of unionism, Ireland would be in a much better place. Do you think Doug Beattie fits 
what you were looking for in a unionist leader? So, so the simple answer is um, yes. Um, Doug's a, he's a, an engaging guy. He seems good fun. He's, he's you know, he's, I've had some engagements with him. And, you know, again, you can argue respectfully and disagree and agree to disagree. That's, that's, that's all to the good. A little bit like what, what Fraser said. I think the issue isn't Doug. He, he is a liberal unionist. That's, that's, his, that's where he comes from. That's who he clearly is. He's got a, a number of people around him who are very clearly in the same boat. Mm. Um, Mike Nesbitt was in the same boat as well. And, you know, look what happened there. I suppose the question is, is it the UUP? Is the first question. The rest of the party, are they on board with that project or, or not? I don't know. I'm not involved in that. The second thing is, you know, the whole, there's lots of liberal unionists. Well, maybe they are. Maybe they don't vote. It's number one, like, like my children. Maybe they're living in England. Uh, maybe they're voting alliance. Maybe they're liberal, but it's not that big a deal to them and they're happy voting DUP, and that's a totally legitimate thing to do. So maybe Doug's problem is, and that's maybe why he's equivocating around the First Minister thing. You know, it's a classic. He's got to concern himself with a more traditional base who vote for him for sure compared to a potential vote who might vote for him in the future or might not, or might vote somewhere else. So, you know, that's a, he's a politician. He's got to think about votes. And he's got to then balance one wing of his party against the other. So, again, it's, it's not an easy job. I like Doug. I think he's an engaging guy. But it's can he bring his party with him and bring his voters with him who he's had in the past? And that's not easy. So, Fraser and Nigel said there, maybe they don't vote. If either of you were in the position of Doug Beatty or Geoffrey Donaldson, what would you do to increase support for the union among people in the middle who probably will decide the future of the North? Well, I think one thing that would apply to both of them um, is they need to develop a vision for Northern Ireland within the United Kingdom from a unionist perspective. Yes. They haven't done that. That, that. that has not been articulated to date. So that's the first thing that both of them will need to do so that people understand what their expectations would be within a United Kingdom. You know, there, there's stuff going on at Westminster at the minute which I think in Northern <coughs> Ireland we're not terribly aware of. Uh, you know, since the current government came into play, there have been a number of um, issues going through Parliament in terms of bills and acts, which are actually a diminution of the democracy as we understand it today. And that all has to go into that melting pot and into that vision that unionism is going to hopefully sell to their following in Northern Ireland. So that's the first thing they need to do. On an individual level, they've got different parties with different tensions within them, uh, and those are matters that they're going to have to deal with. You know, One of the things Nigel was talking about there um, in relation to Doug Beatty, He's got tensions with his own party currently. Now, what he has done to date is reasonably positive, um, and I think he is making some changes. But he recently ran into a difficulty over conversion therapy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where Roy Beggs would not vote. Now, this is the first time the unionists put a weapon to us, uh, because previously the unionist party um, allowed free conscience votes exactly. on moral matters. That's right. So that's, that's an issue that Doug has to deal with within his own party. Mm -hmm. Um, and did I see a local councillor defected there earlier this week, or was uh, it last week? Har Harold McKee and Nurian Morn. Yes, that's right. Uh, he, he wrote a very long-winded letter. Um, a short letter would have done him. But, uh, but Doug Beatty was honest about that right from the outset. He has stated clearly, whenever he became party leader, that he is a liberal. Mm -hmm. he, he made that very clear. He made no bones about it. Yeah. He also made no bones that there will be people who will fall away from the Unionist Party because they will not like what he was doing. He did. And I have to say that Harold McKee is probably a consequence of that, mm -hmm. and there will likely be more of them. Um, whether they veer to the DUP or not is another matter. Um, but I do. I would. I would say to Doug Beatty that he would need. A, he should walk a careful line in this one. Because when you tread on these moral issues, you're, you're treading on faith issues. There are about 400,000 evangelical Protestants living in Northern Ireland today. And it's an important constituency for, for any of the unionist parties. And I, they, they, they need to tread warily with that. Nigel, same question to you. And if you don't mind, um, Fraser kind of referenced Doug Beatty in the UUP quite often there. So I'm going to ask you to take the unenviable job and answer on behalf of Geoffrey Donaldson. 
Go roll your eyes up, Middle Garden Angel, please. <laughs> well, it, it's the same. It's, it's the same challenge, really. Again, if you if you look at if you're saying, what, I, I, who knows how Northern Ireland's really configured in terms of its view of the constitution? But is there forty five percent are always for the UK under, under any circumstances? There's thirty percent are United Ireland under any circumstances, and there's just twenty five percent in the middle who, well, you know, would. I suppose maybe the most realistic view is most likely would be so. Well, why why change things? We're gonna we're pro-union rather, rather than unionist. That that's a, a thing as well. How does he talk to the pro-union bits while talking to his unionist core? In fairness, I think you're really saying that's not Jeffrey's job. You know, uh, Jeffrey's job is to secure that more evangelical religious base view of, of Northern Ireland of, 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 of within the, the Protestant community. It's Doug's job to talk to that middle ground. And but, but surely it's every politician's job to talk to every voter? Well, I suppose I don't, well, I suppose I don't think so. I suppose if, if you listen to what we're saying about Doug, is Doug chasing every person who maybe votes for the TUV and who votes for Sinn Féin? No. He's trying to target you know, what you might call wavering the UP and wavering alliance party and potential no voters, so non-voters. So I suppose that's his target audience. I come from business perspective. We don't try and sell everything to all people. We try and focus on what's a realistic market for us and focus our efforts on that market. So if you're trying to be liberal, well, that's going to annoy a more evangelical base. I suppose, again, it's not, not my job to tell Doug his business, but you're then saying, well, actually in the marketplace of ideas that you're selling, if you're trying to be all things to all men, you end up being nothing. Mm. And I suppose that's maybe the critique of the UUP in the mm -hmm. past is it tried to be everything a broad church and ended up being nothing was dying. So it's, you, you, you know, you can't say you can ignore everyone in society. That's not the thing. But you, your pitch has to be to a certain, you know, Sinn Féin's not making a pitch to TUV voters. And that's not a criticism. <laughs> that's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of unknown as a TUV making a pitch to, to Sinn Féin voters. We're all making pitches to certain voters to vote for me, and why would they change? So I suppose you're really saying the DUP's not in that market, but but Doug and the UUP would hope to be. I think you answered that very well. Um, yeah, interesting observation. Guys, do you think that the Unionist parties have made a tactical mistake in opposing the protocol? I'll go to you first on this one, Fraser. I think they have. Um... And, and you, know, the DUP, for instance, they've changed their stance on it a couple of times. You know, at one stage, the, the former leader of the DUP, Arlene Foster, and then subsequently Jeffrey, had both said that there were advantages to be gained from the protocol. And and then you know there, there, there was a meeting of minds with their stakeholders, inverted commas, and everything changed. Um, the protocol is the best of a bad job. Nobody likes the protocol. I think everybody can agree on that. That's our area of commonality. Mm. Um, it, it, it is the consequence of Brexit. It's the consequence of the DUP refusing May's backstop, uh, which would have been a better, a better arrangement. But it is what it is. We, we've got it now. And I have to be honest, I don't think it's going to go away. Um, the EU, I think, in fairness, are doing their level best in discussing with civic society and the business leaders here to deal with the concerns that businesses have. And by and large, the proposals that have been put forward by Maris Sefcovic have been accepted by business. Well done on that not, name, by the way. And not, and not, and not, and not by the politicians in the unionist camp. Um, so this, this is an ideologue opposing the needs of business. Um, and the, the, the two are not marrying up, unfortunately, at the moment. Pronounce um, that name for me, Nigel. Oh, Mara Sjaskiewicz. I've been struggling with names, to be honest. But, um. <laughs> so, so would I, as all our listeners would um, testify. Uh, same question to you, Nigel. Yeah, so I think we can all agree, wherever you stand, it's a bit of a mess. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the next two or three months? I think the, the Assembly election is reasonably fixed it's going to happen in May if not before I think that, that's the one thing we can hopefully all think will happen and you imagine that will focus attention because effectively that then is the 2024 vote for me if I'm a unionist you're sort of saying well 
Are we into Grand Old Duke of York territory? We're marching everyone up to the top of the hill. We're not very far from the top of the hill here. And it hasn't really worked before for unionism. Um, you know, is the protocol perfect? No, don't be ridiculous. I'm fully in the maxim, you know, maximise the opportunities, but you've got to mitigate all the downsides of it. So fully on board with that there. I would be quite critical about the EU. They should have come forward earlier. I'm probably in the, the, the same, same position as Newton Emerson on the whole thing. We'll see what happens. We'll know where we are, you know, March, April, May. We'll get a vote and then we'll see the lie of the land. We'll, we'll know the MLA count. We'll know what Northern Ireland thinks. We'll know how strong it We'll know the range of TUV versus DUP versus UUP. So we'll have a, a much better sense of, of where we stand on that. In fairness, within unionism, you have a range of views on that. You've got the TUVs, you know, never, never, never. You've got the DUP who've been a bit sort of never but maybe and you've got the UUP yeah we want to change this but it's here and let's make the best of it let's get on with it so there's a range of views for the electorate to vote on and say well actually where do I stand on that so we can say in May that's where we all stand as a society and that's where unionism stands um, in terms of its elected representatives as well and then we take it from there Nigel you speak a lot of sense why have you never got involved in politics well I suppose because you've too much sense. <laughs> well, no, no, uh, no, no. I, it's, well, um, I suppose I'm a, I'm a bit like Joel Keyes, perhaps, and uh, you know, I like I've got my own little world views. Do I want to be bound by a party? In fairness to the parties, you, you join a party. You're joining a party. It's it's not you. It's not you as a private individual. You are bound by the party, and then you've got to decide. Well, am I happy in any context? Um, saying I'm saying stuff I don't agree with because that's the party policy. And ultimately, that's not my stick. Secondly, I have a family. I have a job. I met a lot of travelling. I have other things to do with my life. There's better things to do with my time than be involved in, in party politics. Fraser, obviously, you speak a hell of a lot of sense, and you were involved in um, politics. Um, but I, I honestly think we need more reasonable people like you back involved again. But I suppose um, you're going to refuse this invitation. Well, given that I'm getting near retirement age, it's, it's, it's definitely time to keep out of it. But, you know, I'm encouraged now. I've noticed a lot of younger people are now being nominated by the political parties, and that goes across the political parties. And that makes me a bit hopeful mm-hmm. um, that perhaps we'll not be stuck with the old same diehards and uh, angry men um, shouting at each other. I think we could um, give an exclusive here today. We should launch the Nigel and Fraser <laughs> party, no? <laughs> Guys, you'll be glad to hear, uh, 52 and a half minutes in, there's a second last question. And a question for both of you. What do you think can be done by pro-United Irelanders, either political or civic, to reassure members of the PUL community that their culture, heritage and values will be represented in a new shared United Ireland? And maybe even, in particular, by members in the South, We'll go to you first on this one, Nigel. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so it, again, I thought about this question as well. And again, when you look at the, the Claire Byrne live show and, and everything else, and you, you look at some of the dialogue, and again, it's social media, so you don't know how much that represents the real world. Mm. Really, you're talking about for nationalist Ireland, what kind of country do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a, in a country that's like a bigger version of Northern Ireland with a, with a never-ending culture war? Because you want to vote with fifty plus one? Nope. <laughs> so that, but you know, that, that's some people think yes. And m- my daughter um, represented Ireland in triathlon a number of years ago in in, in in underage, and she went along to this training camp they had, and they had, um, Aileen Morrison, um, who's from Derry, and Gavin Noble, who's from Enniskillen, just talking, just happened to be from the north, talking to them all in Dublin, and they were asked, um, oh, "What's your biggest sacrifice?" And they both stopped and said, no, no, you can't think in terms of sacrifice. If you're doing this as a sacrifice, you shouldn't be here. So take something like, I'm just using the flag, the flag or the anthem or the Commonwealth. Those are the sort of things you might be talking about in terms of identity. If you're viewing putting something on the flag or changing the flag to represent the northeast Protestant part of the island, if you're seeing that as a sacrifice, well, perhaps... You're thinking the wrong way. If that's how you're thinking about it, well, you'll never be anything other than begrudging of it, and it's not really your project then 
you need to get away from the ideas of sacrifices and thinking about actually I'm doing this because the country I want to be, this new country I want to have, is has some chance of being at peace with itself. If I'm thinking of that as a sacrifice, I'm not sure that's really a great place to start with. So again, I, it's, it's a complicated one, but you have to think about what country do you want to be and what does that then look like? And, you know, that, that requires some generosity of spirit. And even that's maybe not even the right way of thinking about it. So, well, One of my phrases people will be fed up listening to me say is trying to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Yeah. Fraser, same question to you. Again, a very, very difficult one to answer. Um, you know, if, if you're talking in terms of people in the South, I, I run a small bed and breakfast, and we get a lot of people coming up from the South, and you get to engage with them, and you discover how little they know about this part of the world. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I, I would say to people in the South, get into your cars and come up here. Come and talk to us, come and mix with us, come and enjoy our facilities. And I guess we, we could say vice versa. And, and, and vice versa. Um, you know, if you haven't been to the Republic of Ireland for a staycation, go. Go and stay in a B&B or a hotel. Join in with the locals with their Kayleys and all the rest of it. And it's totally non-threatening. And just mix. I'll give you a wee free plug here that you probably don't want. Where's your B&B? At home. <laughs> uh, you're definitely not getting near Fraser's house, folks. Right, um, you have listened to the Shared Iron podcast in uh, different times, so you know my last question is always the same. And I know this is one that Fraser um, won't like to answer, but um, so that's why I'm going to go to Nigel first. If you could invite three people to your fictional dinner party, who would they be and why? Nigel. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, I'm not often speechless here. I'm trying to think of a, a clever answer. Um, I don't know. This is one that I didn't pre-warn you, but but you should have known it. Uh, well, let, let's get let's get topical. Let's say um, uh, Philip McGuigan uh, from Sinn Féin. Oh, okay. He's currently doing a bicycle. He's, he's, he's a cyclist. We can't be all bad. Yes. Oh, you're a cyclist. I'm a cyclist too. A bad cyclist. Uh, not as good. He's a very good cyclist. Um, let's say. Um, Oh, Tim Cairns from the DUP, and um, somebody else. Oh, good question. Um, why not bring Naomi Long along? She's she's a she's she's a, 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 a great person for East Belfast as well. So there there's three who I might need a bit of crack and a bit of company along the way. So. And same question, your favourite question, I know rightly, Fraser. That's why you're looking at me with um, under your glasses. To you. Well, you know, one of the first people I would like to invite would be Linda Irvine, because I think Linda Irvine is an amazing woman in terms of the Irish language, and I've started to learn Irish myself, and it's a major, major challenge. I Honestly, how long ago? Oh, about two years ago. Excellent. And that would be my second guest, and would be my lecturer in Irish. Um, and now I've gone and forgotten his name, and he'll kill me for that. <laughs> But it's Dr. Ian Malcolm. Dr. Ian Malcolm. Dr. Ian Malcolm, who is a unionist diehard, who sings and writes ditties, and he's an absolute character. So Linda and Ian would compliment each other at the dinner table. And there's another woman out of this country who just amazed me. There's a woman called Mia Motley. And I don't know whether I either have heard of her or not. No. But she is the Prime Minister of Barbados. Okay. And Barbados are currently becoming an independent state. And sometime this month their first president will be um, put in place. But I listened to Mia Motley one night um, holding an open forum with individuals from all walks of life in Barbados. And I never heard a woman hold counsel with such authority, with such empathy and humanity. Mm-hmm. And we could do with a dose of that here, couldn't we? Could do we? With a dose of it here. Well, guys, thank you very much. Uh, both uh, very interesting guest lists, I must say. On a personal note, and from the Shared Ireland team, um, really want to thank each, both of you for your continued support, as I say, this past two, two and a half years. Um, will you just give me a wee promise that you will come back on again and we'll try and not leave it as long? Absolutely. Delighted to.
Guys, thank you very much. Really enjoyed this past exactly one hour. Uh, doesn't time fly when you're having fun. Folks, as usual, hope you enjoyed the conversation. We'll be really interested to hear your feedback um, and thoughts on the thread underneath this podcast. And um, as usual, a like and a retweet would be appreciated. Okay, until next time, take care, be good, bye-bye.